I think every one of us in here have been guilty of the uh-huh's. You know what the uh-huh is, right? Someone's talking to you and you say, uh-huh. And they keep talking and you say, uh-huh. And then, yeah, and then, so yeah, and there too, that's right. Yeah, and then here comes the question you dread. What did I just say? Uh, mm. Yeah, we have all been guilty of hearing people and not listening. Uh, there is a difference. Hearing is what many of you are doing now. You can, can hear my voice and your brain says there's somebody talking. But truly listening to what somebody has to say is paramount in communication. Uh, you have a sender, you have a message, and you have a receiver, and then you have feedback. Aren't you impressed that I remember that from my middle school class, right? But anyway, we have to be listening to learn. We have to be tuned into the frequency. I can't stand it sometimes when you're traveling and you've got your favorite radio station on. It starts getting fuzzy, and then you have to find another radio station that's never as good as the one you like because we're not dialed in, because we're not getting the signal. And so as we visit our passage today in John chapter 7 and we continue the story, we see that, that Jesus is broadcasting his message loud and clear to not only the Jewish leadership that is trying to take him down, but also to the casual bystanders and also to his followers. And my friend, let me tell you what. Jesus is still sending out his message today. We can see God everywhere we look. We can see him in nature. We can see him at work in our conflicts. We can see Jesus working in the lives of ourselves, in the lives of others. But friend, let me tell you what. Jesus is talking today. My question is, are you listening? Are you listening to what the Lord says? Is our world listening to what the Lord says? And so, as we've all been guilty of the uh-huhs, we, we pick up the passage this morning in the middle of a heated debate. And this debate still goes on to this day. And I know I've, I've shared this with you before, but I want to show it to you one more time. This is the three-way debate that's out there today. Who is Jesus? Jesus is either one of three things. He is a liar, or he is a lunatic, or he is Lord. In other words, you have three possible choices of what he can be. He cannot be one plus another. He is one of the three. And we see that come to play in our passage this morning. And I'm going to go, before I get into the bulk of the message today, I wanted to go back, if you would allow me, to go back to verses 11 through 13, where we see that Jesus is talking, so why should I listen? Jesus is talking, so why should I listen? Jesus is talking to you today. Jesus is talking to us in the midst of our conflict. Jesus is talking to you today in the midst of your health crisis. Jesus is talking to you today in the middle of your business, in the middle of your relationships. And prayerfully, he's talking to you this morning. So if he is talking, why should I listen? Again, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. And so as we pick up in verse 11 of chapter 7, 
we see that the first reason we should listen to Jesus is because of his character. Because of his character. I know people that have been in my life, and I've known of people that I don't know personally, but I know that they are a person of character. When they say something, they stand behind it. You don't have to worry if they're going to stab you in the back because you can take what they say to the bank. So for someone in your life that has character, you learn to trust that person, do you not? Well, we see here that Jesus has character. Before Jesus even arrived into the city, there was a great debate about his character. You've probably seen enough Law and Order shows on TV to know if there is a character witness, someone who is going to speak to the character of somebody that is on trial, the opposing lawyer is going to do their best to discredit that person as a witness because they don't want that person's character proven. And so we see here that the same thing is going on. People are trying to discredit Jesus's character and they have no basis. But yet we see in verses 11 through 13, it says the Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of discussion. New Living Translation says that there was grumbling and murmuring. You know, the old talk around the water cooler there. Uh, They were talking about him among the crowds, and some were saying, he's a good man. And others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. In other words, some were calling him the real deal. Some were calling him a, a demon, as a matter of fact. We'll see in a few minutes. And others were calling him a fraud. Either he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. Or he is Lord. And we have that age-old issue of people talking and complaining and sharing their good and bad opinions based on Jesus in private discussions of like-minded whiners, but not taking a stand for what they believe in a positive or negative light. Look, I can see the people sitting around the restaurant tables talking about how bad this world is. We could we could spend an hour today just getting in circles and talking about how much better it was in the yesteryears than it is today or or how terrible the, the children and people of the future have and what's coming up. Look, I know life is tough. Life gets worse. This world that we are on, this ball of, of dirt that we are living on, has a life expectancy. It has an expiration date. I don't know what that expiration date is, but I know that Jesus Christ knows, and he hasn't told anybody. But for the sake of this, let me ask you something. How productive is a debate on a Facebook feed? Some of you say, I don't have Facebook, I don't have to worry about it. How productive is it? Is, is a, a fussing session with your circle of friends on a phone? How, how productive is it to sit around and catch up with everybody in the beauty shop? Has any problems been solved over a biscuit at Hardy's? I mean, yes, we can talk and we can give our opinions, but what we see is we see people loved talking about who Jesus was, whether he was this, whether he was that. In today's world, in churches, we talk about, well, what kind of format are you? What kind of worship do you have? How much giving do you have? What's your members? What's your numbers? And we talk about all these different things. but, But what I want to know is, what is Jesus saying to us? What is Jesus saying to you? Don't spend all of your time talking about what the drones are talking about. 
Read for yourself in the scriptures as we see here. We go back to the liar, lunatic, and Lord. In the mid-19th century, there was a Scottish Christian, Christian preacher uh, named James Duncan who actually started this. It became more popular when C.S. Lewis uh, included it in his Mere Christianity book. But by, by considering Jesus a liar, it means that he deceived mankind. In other words, there was a conscious effort to fraud people. There was a conscious effort of Jesus to pull the wool over people's eyes if he was a liar. Now, if he was a lunatic, he himself was deluded and self-deceived. In other words, he drank too much of his own Kool-Aid. He thought too much of himself. Or, if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic, he must be Lord. Meaning that he was divine. And there is nothing to stop or prevent his mission. Look. People are calling him a lot of things. They called him in this passage a demon. They called him a good man. They called him, some called him the Messiah. Some followed him. But my friend, there are a lot of people, maybe even someone in this room today, or listening by the way of our podcast, that's listening to this, and they say, I've got some serious questions about who Jesus is. My friend, put him in one of these three categories, and you will make your decision. He was a liar. He was a lunatic. Or he was a Lord. Now I told you C.S. Lewis made this popular. In uh, 1942 he was speaking. And then he included it in his Mere Christianity book. And if you would let me read this paragraph for a second. Uh, And so uh, again don't hear it. Try to listen to it if you can. It's it's not the words aren't that big. It says. um, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying really foolish things. That people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God if he was a liar. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to tell somebody I'm a poached egg. He's saying that that is ridiculous. And then he goes on to say that um, Jesus would, uh, he would either be a lunatic on the level of that or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he is neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however, strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. You can put Jesus in any light that you want and think that you can paint the picture. Uh, Again, we see, if you look over history, you see the people that paint Jesus. You see the the white Anglo-Saxon, pale, emaciated, uh, skinny face, beautiful-looking, China doll-looking Jesus portrait. And people think that that's Jesus. You go to an African-American church and Jesus has an afro. 
you go to um, other denominations and, and he looks differently. But folks, we know that he was Jewish. There was nothing about him that stood out. He was a, a regular man. But yet we try to put him and make him fit in our box. So we hear many things from people on a daily basis, but we only listen to those who have authority in our lives. Jesus is talking. If he has authority in your life, if you give him the reins of your life, you will not just hear what he is saying. You will listen to what he is saying and listen to his message. The second thing we see is that Jesus had no need to prove himself or his teaching. He was God, folks. He wrote the book. He created everything. And so why does he have to explain himself? How many times did you get shut down by a parent when you ask them to do something and you say, but why? And what do they say? Because I'm your father. Because I'm your mother. Or they'll pawn it off on the other. Go ask your mother. Go ask your father. But either way, there is a final authority where they say either yes or no. And you have the choice of either honoring them and obeying that decision or crawling at your window at 12 at night and sneaking out and maybe getting in trouble. But those people have authority in your lives. Let me ask you something. Does Jesus Christ have the authority in your life to tell you how to act, to tell you what to do with your life, to tell you what to do with your hopes and dreams, and tell you how life works best by living according to his principles? Jesus had no need to prove himself or his teaching, yet he does. First we see in Jesus' credentials in verse 16. If he was writing his resume, this would be the first and only point that Jesus would need in his resume for the job description of a Messiah. Forget the fact that there were over 300 prophecies that were told about him thousands of years before he came. But yet, the main job requirement for him being the Messiah is in verse 16. It says, Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but is from the one who sent me. First qualification in his credentials is that he was sent by God. Let me show you this diagram for just a moment. What gives Jesus his credentials? And this passage pulls all three of these out. His character, his doctrine, and his judgment. We've talked about the fact of his character, that he is unchangeable. We've talked about the doctrine, in other words, his teaching, and we'll talk more about that in a second. And then the third thing is his judgment. Do you realize that Jesus doesn't judge out of how he feels? Jesus, that's what kept him on the cross. That is what allowed him to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's because it wasn't his judgment, but it was his father's. For example, we see that his credentials are his works, his judgment, and his teaching. That's why Jesus did so many miracles in the New Testament. Establishing his authority. That's why we don't see a lot of those things today. He's already done it. And nobody listened But we see his miracles in scripture. We see his teachings and we see his judgment. So how can Jesus' teaching be proven to be true? How do you know what Jesus is saying is really true? Do we have to depend on a professor at Ivy League school? 
Do we have to depend on the person we work with? Do we have to depend on what we see on TV or in our social media feed? I'll tell you how, this is how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this word of God is true. Here it is. And, and anybody can do it. You don't need to go to the Kmart and buy, or Walmart or wherever. You don't have to go buy a kit. You can do this right in your own life, right here, right now. You can know that God's word is true by looking at verse 17. It says, if anyone wants to do his will, he will understand whether the teaching is from God or if I am speaking on my own. I kind of ran through that. And just in case you missed it, you can teach. Jesus' teaching can be proven to be true when you do his will. Now, look, nowadays, I don't know how how they changed it around, but, but back in my day when I was in school, driver's ed was a, a school class that you took during school. Now kids, what do they get up at five in the morning to go drive or something like that? I guess they don't want anybody on the road. Uh, I mean, shoot, back in my day, students were still driving buses. I'm glad that that passed. But uh, some of you even here drove buses when you were in school. But but now they don't drive buses. They're, they're on them and driving their own cars. But driver's ed, man, we, we would have an hour every day where we go in this class and they would go on and on and on about the car and about road safety and where to put the first aid kit and, and, and how to do this and what gear and how to park on a curb or not a curb and all that, basically teaching the driving test all semester long. How cool was that? Now we could sit there and we could look at you know, back in those days, they showed the videos that had all the, the wrecks on it and stuff like that, trying to scare you to death, thinking if you get in the car and do something, you're going to end up just like that. Oh, man, there was a lot of classwork. But you know what? It all changed when you got in the driver's seat. It all changed when you got behind that car, you strapped in your seatbelt, and you cut it on. And the teacher said, okay, put it in drive. Took on a whole new meaning, didn't it? All of that book learning came into, came into play. You'll see a lot of times with whether it be somebody in the armed forces. Why do they go to boot camp? Because the drill instructors, they, they break that person down and build them up into a fighting machine. And what, in emergency services, policemen, firemen, all these other, uh, EMS people, they train constantly so that when they are in the moment, they don't have to think about what they're doing. They just do it because they've heard about it and done it before. I think I've got my point across. You want to know Jesus' word to be true? You can read it. You can memorize it. You can talk about it. You can hear the preacher talk about it. You can make notes about it. But it will not ring true in your life until you apply it to your life. Application is the verification of of Jesus' word. And here's the great thing, folks. If you decide not to apply it, it does not mean that you and I, if we don't apply the word in our lives, it doesn't mean the word is false. It just means we're idiots, idiots for not applying it. We've got the answer right in front of us. And this is how we apply it. We know it to be true when we do his will. Like Jesus' opposition in his day, many wanted to complain about the validity of his teachings without proving it or applying it. It is amazing to find out how true his teaching is when you apply it to your lives. You see, the Jewish leaders here, they did not understand Jesus' teaching because 
they had a stubborn will. You will find people anywhere that will criticize Jesus, say that the Bible isn't true, and try to convince you that there are so many things, there are so many holes in the Bible. Well, let me tell you something. Most of those people say that because they, too, have never applied it. The bottom line is, obedience and submission to Jesus' word brings out its strength and its understanding. And uh, do not complain about the errors of Jesus' teachings if you've never applied them to your life. And until you do, you simply don't know. You only know what everybody else is talking about. That's just like, I, I will go ahead and tell you this, and you can mark it down, that unless you have personally led someone to Jesus Christ or been part of an event, integral part of an event where someone came to Christ, you will never know the full scope of what being a Christian is like. Some of you are saying, well, preacher, that, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get up there and preach and tell people about Jesus. I'm just supposed to be here and encourage you. Yeah, I understand that. But I'm telling you, on a personal level, if you've ever been a part of someone coming to Christ, either one-on-one talking with them or being a part of a vacation Bible school or an outreach where we're giving out school supplies or trunk or treat or whatever it may be, when a kid comes to Christ... When an adult comes to Christ, when a coworker comes to Christ, when someone walks down this aisle, when someone gets baptized in that pool, that is a full Christian life of multiplying and making other believers. So how do you tell if someone is preaching biblical truth? Verse 18, the one who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Folks, our worship, our Bible studies, our speech, our fellowships, our relationships, and the words that we share with others should point to Christ himself. That does not mean that you have to use the name Jesus in every sentence. But it does mean that we need to be able to give a reason for our hope and be able to articulate that without Christ we would be lost and hopeless and going to hell and not having eternal life. So if someone is teaching, I want to give you a few things to look out for. Look out for statements like this. God has told only me this. As soon as they say that, watch out. God's given me a direct word. Well, if a preacher says that, including myself, it better be backed up in Scripture. And you would be smart to check them on it. Another thing. No one teaches what I'm sharing with you. That's probably because you shouldn't be teaching it. Again, everything centers around the Bible. The third one. This proves that you should elevate me in what I am teaching. I'm the only one that knows the truth about this. Folks, when you see people that are taking the the glory and the emphasis away from Jesus and putting them on themselves, that is a cult leader. Jesus himself says, I get the credit, not the speaker. That's what he's saying here. And he's targeting the Jewish leaders here because they are talking like they have the corner on heaven because they keep all of these rules and they are so super pious. But he's saying, look, you're only pointing to yourselves and how good you are when you keep these laws. But you're wrong. 
It points to me. Head knowledge is not heart knowledge. In verse 19, it says, Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you want to kill me? He he calls them on it. Isn't it ironic that they're talking to Jesus and telling him how he should honor God and how he works and how spiritual they are when all the while, here's the hypocrisy of all of this passage. The Jewish leaders who claim to understand God's truth were the same people that were trying to kill him. The pious leaders that thought that they were all that in a bag of chips. And they thought because they went to church, because they kept the laws, and they did all of these things, that they were righteous, yet they were trying to kill Jesus. Folks, I'm telling you what. Having a head knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, is not enough. There are a lot of people in this world that are a lot more educated than me and a lot smarter than me. And I know some of you are thinking, amen. But there are people out there that that can run theological circles around me. But you know what? I know in my heart what is true. And in many of those people, the heart just isn't there. The last thing we see is that we uh, don't trip over your own ignorance and self-righteousness. Don't trip over your own ignorance and your self-righteousness. Folks, the crowd here, they didn't understand the full picture. They were talking about Jesus, but they didn't understand who they were. Kind of, kind of the light in the mood before I end here. Let me, let me tell you something. People that don't get it. People that don't understand. If you want a good illustration of that, just look for dumb crook news. You like dumb crook news? Check this out. Number one. Three drug thieves thought it was their lucky day. They broke into a home in Silver Springs, Florida, and discovered three jars of cocaine. They took it home and they snorted the contents. That's when they discovered that the jars were, in fact, urns. And they were snorting the cremated remains of the victim's husband and the two dogs. You can't write that. I mean, that's, that's bless her hearts. A San Francisco thief pedaled his bike up to a woman on the sidewalk, snatched the iPhone out of her hands, and rode away. Unknown to him, the woman was in the middle of a demonstration of the iPhone's new GPS tracking device, which worked. The thief was captured minutes later. And one more. An El Paso, Texas man busted into a church and stole their safe. Now, safes are heavy. So he takes his heavy safe and he only gets to the yard across from the church. And so he decides to crack it right there in that neighbor's yard and open it up. So that's when he was confronted by the home's occupant. Wait for it. He was a police officer. These people didn't get it. They were in the moment. They were thinking about their own selfish desires, which led them to to act really in, a, in an ignorant way. And folks, as, as funny and as, as unbelievable as those stories are, the, the crowd here in this passage did not know how deep the scandal of the Jews wanting Jesus dead was among the Jewish leaders. They basically said, you must be crazy to think someone is wanting to kill you. They didn't totally get it. Verse 20 says, the crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Verse 30. Verse 21, Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath and you were amazed. But you, (laughs) but you 
You work on the Sabbath, too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. For if the correct time for circumcision of your son falls on the Sabbath, they say to go ahead and do it. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Remember, we're going back to that healing. We're still talking about that healing that that caused such an uproar. And it says, verse 24, look beneath the surface so you can judge it correctly. In other words, Jesus is calling them out and saying, so according to your laws of Moses, which you consider to be the highest pinnacle of authority in your life, you guys allow for circumcisions to be done on the Sabbath. Yet here I heal the man, and you're worried about that? Jesus is saying, look, circumcision is something that affects the body. But what I'm teaching and what I'm sharing affects eternal life. The crowd was listening to Jesus with a self-righteous mindset. Their evaluation was based on the superficial information. Folks, do not base your religious beliefs off of the court of public opinions. Look, right now in our section of the Bible Belt, Jesus is purely popular. I mean, we can talk about Jesus with a lot of people and not get a lot of flack. Go up to the northern part of the states. Go out to California. Go to Mid-America. Go to Charlottesville, Virginia, and see how talking of Jesus does. Folks, we are in crazy times. And don't go by the opinions of the crowds or the word of mouth or even the words of experts. You, as a regular human being today, you don't even need me to tell you what to do. You can open it up, read through it, apply it to your life, and see his word to be true. Because they judged Jesus' message on what seemed to be not what truly was. I guess my paraphrase of verse 24 would be this. Jesus says there is more to me than your world is telling you, but you will only know what that more is by believing in me. I am the Messiah. So folks, Jesus is talking. Listen with your ears and your minds and most importantly, your heart. Having questions about Jesus is okay. Jesus is big enough for your questions, but be open to listen to the answers. Don't just give them a, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Here's the trap. For those of us that have been in church for more than five years, you know what's coming next. You know the invitation is coming. You know that there's going to be a verse. You know that there's going to be a, hey, you know, y'all come, and, and, and it's just going to be just another religious service. But let me ask you something. Is there someone in here today Jesus is talking to? Would you put religion beside and say, he's talking to me, and I don't know how I need to respond, but I know I need to respond. Having questions is fine, but be open to the answers. And do not think Jesus has not answered your questions if you have not applied his word to your life. And do not believe what the crowd or the experts say about Jesus. Discover it for yourself. You know, I tell people all the time, having your own quiet time and having your own time with the Lord is important. I mean, think about it this way. If all you get is a sermon on Sunday morning, 
Maybe a Bible study fellowship class. Maybe a Wednesday night. But you never read the Bible for yourself. You remember how mama birds feed their babies? You know how they do that? The, the, baby, the baby birds, their digestive systems hadn't formed yet. So the mama bird goes, finds a worm, eats it, digests it in her stomach, and then into the baby's mouth because they can't process the food. I know it's disgusting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's the only thing that came to my mind as I'm closing up. I promise I'm closing. But there is not a better illustration than if all you get or what me or another preacher is teaching you, then all you're getting is what God has processed in our life. And you're missing the aha refrigerator-like moment when you just read it for yourself. If you say, well, I don't know where to start. Start in John. Read along with us. And I promise you, look, even if you say, well, I can't do Bible study five days a week. Start with one. (laughs) Start with two. Whatever it may be. God says, I will give you the desire to be with me if you seek me. So you will never know the full truth of Jesus Christ until you trust him as the Lord of your life. Let's pray.